Turn your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Subject of the message today, why go on after the lost? Why keep going after the unsaved? May we pray together. Our Father, we ask for the moving of God's Holy Spirit to implant on our hearts those texts that we have just heard. He was there all the time. Even when we run from God, He's there beckoning us to come. And we have a heart cry today. And our prayer is, O oh Jesus, help us to be constantly winning those who need you. And may thy spirit implant upon our hearts that message today. Should there be those within the sound of our voice who have never settled the matter of eternal security, they do not know for sure if they died today they'd go to heaven. May that become real to them as the Spirit of God moves in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I speak today to three groups of people. Some who are lost and really have not seriously considered the question, where will I spend eternity? Don't really think about it very much. I've been witnessing to a man recently, and over and over again, I'll say to him how to be saved, and then I'll say, now, do you think of those things often? He said, no, I never think about it at all. I said, no, you, you, you're bound to think about it because I've been talking to you about it. No, I don't think about it. In other words, he just has a hard heart, and he's not interested. I'm praying that God's Spirit will break through that hardness and open his heart. There are others who, who've listened, but they don't understand. Never dawned on them. They, maybe they go to church sometimes. They love church. They love God. Never understood that unless they have a personal experience with Jesus, unless there comes a time when they receive Christ into their hearts, unless that time comes, that they're lost. They don't really understand that. They think maybe going to church is enough or loving God is enough or believing in Jesus is enough. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles, but he isn't saved. It's never dawned on them because they've not allowed the word of God to lodge deep in their hearts. It's our prayer that God will deal today about that. And then there are some who are saved, who really love the Lord but have never seriously tried to win anybody else to Christ. Never tried to do it. Maybe they think it's the preacher's job. Maybe they feel like somebody else has the gift for it and so they can do it and I don't have to do it. Maybe they feel like, well, I just never was trained to do it and I just never, I'm too timid and I'm too shy and I don't know how to say it, and I don't know what to do, so I've never tried. And let me say this, it's contingent upon every believer to go and tell. Every one of us. There, there's no exception. 
There are not some who are gifted and some who are not gifted as a matter of soul winning. You have to learn it. Now, there are certain people that can sing. It's a gift they got from God, whether they ever train it or not. They can sing. They got that from God. Others of us are trying and trying to learn how to sing. We'd never, never get there, maybe. We can sing in the congregation, but just could never be a soloist. But that's not the way it is with soul winning. Soul winning is something you learn from the Holy Spirit. The closer you get to Him, the more He props your heart to say, you need to share that message with somebody else. That's God's direction. And then there are others to whom we speak this morning who have entered that wonderful inner sanctum of personal soul winning. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you've been doing it for a number of years. And you've had the joy of sitting down with somebody and introducing them to the Savior and being present when the miracle of the new birth takes place. And there's nothing like that except more of it. Just more of it. Wonderful joy. As we think about that, let's look at this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 6. Therefore we are always con confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I want you to notice carefully verse 10. In the prelude to verse 10, he's talked about, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this body we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our spiritual body, which is from above. If so, be we not be found unclothed, but clothed upon by, by him, by immortality. Because he says that we're confident knowing that while we are absent from the Lord, we're present in the body. While we're present in the body, we're absent from the Lord. In other words, while we're walking here in our mortal body, we're not face to face with Jesus. Now, he dwells in the heart of a believer, but there's not one of us who has seen Jesus face to face. But there's coming a time when we will. Had the funeral this week of Mary Dalton. Precious Mary Dalton used to come to our church. Very dear Christian. She was the photographer from Scottsville. Used to sit right over here. Loved to come to church. I'm so thankful we were able to say to the people, Mary Dalton has seen Jesus now. She's in his presence. You say, how do you know that? Because this scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We labor, therefore, whether present or absent, to be accepted of him. Then he says a startling thing. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us, little boys and little girls, teenagers, big men and big women, everybody has to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this particular judgment he's talking about is for believers, for those who are saved, who are on their way to heaven. 
There's another judgment out at the end of the age, the great white throne judgment, where those who have rejected Christ, they'll have to appear before God and give a reason why they've, why they've rejected the Lord. And they'll be judged by their works. But this particular one is talking about those who are saved. And he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. If you examine carefully that thing, good or bad, that's an interesting thing. The Bible says none of us are good. Only Jesus is good. Only God is good. They came to Jesus one day, one day and said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns and said, why do you call me good? Now, the casual reader might not get it, but what Jesus was saying, do you recognize God? Do you recognize that I'm God? Is that the way you call me good? Because there's none good but God. So the only good thing we could ever do is what God does through us. The rest of it is full of putrefying sores, signifying nothing. All our good works are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64 tells us. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so there's nothing very good about us. There's everything good about him. So if we're going to do anything good, we have to let him do it through us. And what is he supremely interested in? The one big thing that led Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth for was to see that we don't go to hell. To see that we could have eternal fellowship with God. That was his desire. You see, in the very beginning, God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created him them. There was nothing in man to mar that beautiful image until sin came. And sin marred the image of God in man. And sin so totally depraved man that God had to put a guardian angel at the Garden of Eden to guard the tree of life lest we go back and take of that tree and live in that sin and rebellion forever. And God had to plan another way for man to get to heaven, to have, have Christ, to have God in our lives. And that was through Christ. And all through the Old Testament, God again broke through again and again and again and said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. And on and on and on, those wonderful verses that tell us that Jesus was to be God's fulfillment so we could get to heaven. And then Jesus came. And when Jesus came, every place he touched, everybody he touched, every person he touched, there was a difference from night to day, from ugliness to beauty. And one day Jesus touched me. One day Jesus touched you. Now we're going to have to give an account one day of what we've done with the goodness of Jesus. Everything done in our body, whether it be good or bad. 
The things good will be those things we have invested in souls. Jesus said one day, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust do corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. What are those treasures in heaven? When I was a little boy and the ushers would take the offering back at Walnut Street Church in Louisville, they had very dignified older men. Almost all of them had gray hair and they wore dark suits. And I tell you, I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were like angels from God. And when they'd take the offering, I'd put my offering in. I thought, this, this is what goes through a child's mind. I thought when they got to the back of the auditorium, somehow they handed that offering all up to God and God took it up to heaven right then. And I thought I'd give my offering to God. That's the way he'd get it. Well, the Lord didn't do it that way. He, uh, he, we give it to the Lord's work and then our men take and count it. And, uh, and, they, and then our church votes how to spend it. And it's spent on reaching people for Christ. That's part of the work. And so we're involved in that. Now everyone's going to have to give an account of how we deal with this thing of, of the goodness of God in our lives. Now I'm asking the question this morning, why should we go on after the lost? Why not spend our money and our time and our talents just on pampering the saved? It's good to do that. But we need to be geared to the thing that is dearest to the heart of God. And the thing that's dearest to the heart of God is getting people freed from their bondage to self and sin and tragedy and their own hurts and lift their vision and their minds above self and look to God. And that's Jesus, what Jesus does when he comes in. So I want to give you three reasons why I believe we ought to keep on going after the lost. Go on, going on. Number one, because of the storm and sea of infidelity, distress, discouragement, hurt, despair, loneliness, defeat, failure, there's an epidemic today, a storm of all that all around us. And because people are in terrible need we need to tell them about Jesus, the mighty to save. A few years ago, we heard about the starving multitudes in Ethiopia. Maybe some in, our, in, in the audience here today or in, by way of radio gave money to help those folks in Ethiopia so they wouldn't physically starve to death. Over and over again, they tell us by radio, would you give care packages? Would you do this and, and make contributions to this because there are people that are starving to death? And our hearts go out, concern. At Christmas time, we take up uh, Christmas uh, uh, food articles for weeks ahead of time so we can give Christmas baskets to people where there's a need physically. And we ought to do that, of course. But did you know it's a lot easier to recognize people's physical needs than their spiritual needs? When somebody's really hungry, you take them something to eat and they'll, they'll eat it. But everywhere there are people spiritually hungry and don't even know it. They're spiritually starved and don't know it. Jesus told the story about a man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and he was stripped and robbed and, 
and put over a ditch and uh, some men came by and they just passed him by on the other side but then a Samaritan came and he uh, went down and poured oil on his wounds and woke him up and got him up and I've wondered lots of times if that man that was destitute didn't sort of feel like leave me alone don't bother me he was already half dead and to wake up and go through the experience of pain and making him get up on that animal and go into the village that was painful he may have said don't bother me leave me alone but the Samaritan knew he couldn't do that he had to bother the man in order to help him now folks there are folks everywhere who are destitute spiritually and we have to bother them to wake them up <coughs> I couldn't tell you <laughs> the scores and scores of no doors I've knocked on in this city of people <coughs> that really didn't want to be bothered just didn't want to be bothered don't bother me I'm busy I'm watching television or I've worked all day and I don't have time for you I knocked on the door I told our class one about this this morning I knocked on a door of a lady we found of a family we found in a census a few years ago and uh, they were rude to me just ugly said we don't need what you've got we've heard about that church and we're not even half interested bang went the door so I left now I'll tell you humanly speaking I wouldn't have gone back but God put them on my heart I prayed for them I went back again again and again and again and again and again and after I'd gone a number of times they were a little bit nicer because they had met me they, they knew me I'm that pest from over to church. Finally, they let me in the house. One day they agreed to come to church. And after a long time, the husband or the wife got saved. And then later the husband got saved. He was a faithful worker in our church until he went to heaven a few years ago. I'm telling you, we must keep on going because there are people destitute and they're, they're lonely and they're behind closed doors and they really think nobody cares and they've gotten so callous through the years that they don't want anybody to bother them. But we must bother them. Jesus is the divine disturber. He disturbs people, wakes them up, and sometimes he wants to use you and me to do that. So we need to go with Christ after the lost. You know, there are people that, have, that are just failures. They feel in their hearts they're just failures. They tried and tried and tried and they just fail at things. And they become depressed and discouraged. And they feel like they can't accomplish anything, can't do anything. They tried this and they failed it. They tried a marriage and failed it. Tried a home and they failed it. They tried another marriage and they failed there. On and on, failures. Does God give up on folks like that? Not on your life. Jesus again and again and again knocks on the door, knocks on the door, knocks on the door, urges you to come. Ben Oates gave me a poem about true heroism. I like this. Let others write of battles fought of bloody ghastly fields where honors greet the men who win and death the man who yields. But I will write to him who fights and vanquishes his sin. 
who struggles on through weary years against himself and wins. He is a hero, staunch and brave, who fights an unseen foe and puts at last beneath his feet his passions base and low, who stands erect in manhood's might, undaunted, undismayed, the bravest man who drew a sword in foray or in raid. It calls for something more than brawn or muscle to overcome, an enemy who marcheth not with banner, plume, plum, and drum, a foe forever lurking nigh with silent, stealthy tread, forever near your board by day, at night beside your bed. All honor then to that brave heart, though poor or rich he be, who struggles with his baser part, who conquers and is free, who may not wear a hero's crown or fill a hero's grave, but truth will place his name among the bravest of the brave. That is, those who have battled their weak nature and then turned that nature over to Jesus and have allowed Jesus to come in and change them. I speak to a number of people today who have been changed, just changed radically. You know what you used to be and you're not that anymore. What changed you? The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I went to a home one day on College Street years ago. Their little child, their little son or daughter had ridden our bus and I was making a follow-up visit. And I knocked on the door, the screen door, and uh, a voice came back from way in the back, said, get out of here, or I'll blow your brains out. Well, I knocked again and I said, come up to the door and tell me that. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not a hero and I'm not brave, but God sent me there and I knew it. So I waited a little while and finally I saw a gun barrel at the door. He said, you leave here or I'll blow your brains out. I said, sir, I want you to come out on the porch and talk to me about Jesus. I came here to talk to you about him. There was a long silence. The man walked out on the porch. I said, I want you to lay your gun down over there and I'll talk to you about Jesus. It wasn't very long until he was down on his knees crying. He was lonely, afraid, destitute. All he knew was some kind of self-defense. And all that was a mechanism he was hiding behind because inside he was filled with sin and defeat and tragedy. And I want to tell you, we need to keep on going because men everywhere, all over this city and all over our county and across the nation and the nations of the world are lonely and they need Jesus. And you and I have the message that can give it to them, give them life and life eternal. Secondly, we need to keep going because of the Holy Spirit. Look in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, a very familiar verse, verses 30 through 32. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. But let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all bitterness. with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now I want to tell you, the reason we need to keep at this task of 
the bus ministry and the radio ministry and the soul winning teams and the going and, and giving our tithes and our offerings to reach a world for Christ is because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now when you grieve the Holy Spirit, He doesn't have access and power and authority in your life. You've taken that from Him. That doesn't mean you're lost. It just means you don't have any power. You don't enjoy things. You're sort of spiritually sluggish. No, no real authority, no power, no real joy. Somebody calls you and says, will you come to Sunday? No, I'm not going to come. Why? Well, it's because you grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you can't approach God's people like that. You might not be able to come, but you could say, well, I really want to come, but you know, I'm physically unable or uh, something, something. You know, you give some reason. But when you get that abrupt and you get ugly in your heart and uh, you forget about souls and you have no concern for them anymore, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so I want to encourage us, not only because of the need out there, not only because of people and their loneliness and their fear and their awful degradation and their, and their eternal loss forever in hell and the wasted years here, you just think of of the people who are somebodies now for God, maybe because you touched their lives, who would have been nobodies. Never any, never, never amounting to anything for God, but you touched them, God used you to touch them. And they're going on for God now, what a blessing. Listen, a man called me yesterday, last night. I had not heard from him for years and years and years. He used to be a young teenager in our church. His name was Mike. Some of our people took the interest to go and bring him to church and bring him to Sunday school. He was on our bus ministry. And then others brought him back on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. He began to grow and then his family had to move away and they moved away. He got saved while he was here, began to grow and God put him on my heart. I knew that God wanted to use him. I had not heard from him maybe 15 years. He called me last night and he said, my name is so-and-so. Do you remember me? I said, well, well, you mean you used to be here, a young boy here in our city? You moved away to such and such a town? He said, yes. He said, well, I live in Florida now. He said, I want to call and thank your church for taking an interest in me and for leading me to Jesus. He said, if I had not been saved then, he said, I've backslidden. I got away from God, but a few months ago, I got back to the Lord and I'm serving the Lord now. And today's my 25th birthday. He said, I just felt like I wanted to call and tell the church that was responsible for leading me to Jesus. Thank you. That's you. People need what we have to give them. But when we withhold that, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Not only because of their need, but our need to let the Holy Spirit operate through us. To say, Holy Spirit, use me, fill me, take me, make me, mold me, use me. 
The greatest use God can make of us is to touch somebody else's life for Christ. And so he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption, but of all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to take control and move through you and operate through you and work through you, you not only bless others, but beloved, you bless yourself. The Holy Spirit just fills you with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And you'll be a happy Christian. You'll be a contented Christian. You'll be filled with God's joy. I've known some old grumpy Christians. Just out of kelter and out of fellowship with God. What a tragedy when it's not necessary at all. If we just keep at the task, keep on, on, on and on, God will bless some of the most unhappy people I've ever met are people that God has called to preach and they never preach. They never surrender to it. They get critical and grumpy. Some of the most unhappy Christians I've ever met in churches have been those that have one time known the joy and privilege and thrill of being used by God to serve, maybe to teach a class, maybe to be a soul winner serve in some way and then they they leave that off they think they're so busy they have busy 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 schedules and they can't squeeze it in anymore they leave off church they come maybe once or twice a week and that's it and i'll tell you you get something inside you get tb you're too busy and, and as a result the holy spirit doesn't have access through you and you don't have joy and so we need to keep on keeping on because of the holy spirit thirdly Last of all, we need to keep on keeping on because of the Savior. We represent Jesus. He's the King. We need to get over every morning and say, reporting for duty, sir, what would you have me to do? Use me today. You're the King. I'm your subject. What wilt thou have me to do, dear Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? And when we do that, God begins to use us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Look at what Jesus has done for you and me, beginning of verse 2, and you, beginning of verse 1, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all had our manner of life or conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isn't that beautiful? You think of what Jesus has done for you and me. He made you a somebody. You're a, you're a VIP. You're really somebody. You're a child of the King. 
Abby sings sometimes, My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, my father, his coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king. They used to say about the little dolphin prince who, who was uh, king, the king's son, King Louis's son, the king that was beheaded, Marie Antoinette and her husband, king and queen of, England, of France. And the little dolphin prince remained when the, when the, when the crowds of, of France, of, of, of Paris took over and, uh, and so on. And they turned this little dolphin prince over to a woman whose name was Meg the, Wint, the Witch, Meg the Witch. And they told her, now you teach him all the filthy, dirty, low-down tricks. You teach him to steal and teach him to lie and teach him all these things. And it is said that when this old woman would take this young boy out to the alleys of the city of Paris and say, now you get something to eat out of this garbage can. The young prince would straighten up. He said, I don't have to do that. I'm the son of a king. I'm the son of a king. And beloved, you're, you're somebody. You're a child of the king. God has made you a somebody. You're not a nobody any longer. You're a somebody. If you've been saved, if you're part of the aristocracy of heaven, if you're on your way to heaven, if Jesus lives in your heart, you're somebody. Now because you are somebody, let's move in on that greatness and pass it on to somebody else. You know the real people that bless people's lives today? Not necessarily poor people or rich people, but those who share. Those who share. You may not have much, but if you share, you'll be a blessing. You may have a whole lot. If you share, you'll be a blessing. The question is not, do you have millions in the bank or do you have nothing in the bank? The question is, how much do you pass on to others? How much do you pour into the lives of other people? If Jesus is there, pass it on. Pass it on. Tell other people. Why should we keep at it? Because of the awful need in people's lives. Because of the Holy Spirit within us. And we get choked up if we don't do it. And, and we become unprofitable. And we have no joy. We have no excitement in our lives. And thirdly, because of Jesus himself. Because he lives in us. And we have something to share. We have somebody to give out to others. If I had a whole lot of food and I found somebody that didn't have anything... I said, well, I'm sorry I can't share anything with you. I'd be pretty selfish. There are not many, very, very many people in this room who would do that. You know, during the Christmas time, I was just amazed this week after week after week. We just made the announcement that people brought all those food articles enough to fill 30 boxes. 30 boxes. With food articles that you brought because you just shared. It was a thrill. And then we announced when we were going to do it, and a whole lot of our men came over here and just delivered them. They were almost all gone. They shared. One night, late at night, someone called me and said, we don't have any food. Well, I said, we'll try to get some. I've, I've been to people's homes, some of you men understand, I've been to people's homes two or three or four o'clock in the morning, 
as soon as I could get to it in my schedule to take some food to people. You have a busy schedule, but I won't tell you. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. But what a greater blessing it is to share Jesus. I had the joy the other day of just being in a home, sitting down briefly and sharing how to be saved with somebody. And they said, yeah, I want Jesus. We knelt and he asked Christ to come into his heart. There's nothing like that except more of it. If you're here today and you've never been saved, let me encourage you to give your heart to Christ. Come to him, trust him. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, do you realize in your need, in your life, there's a need? Do you have a need inside? Do you know that you're lost? If you died today, you'd go to hell. If you live without God here, you're going to have a wasted life. You'll never be what God wants you to be. You'll never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish until you open your heart to Jesus. And when you do, oh, what a wonderful blessing God will give you as you serve him. And, and that fulfillment of the nature of God in you becomes real, reality. And then you say, well, but if I've received Christ, how do I let others know about it? Well, we could get a microphone, go all over Bowling Green and say, hey, everybody, I just got saved and I want to tell everybody. That's one way to do it, but that isn't really what God tells us to do. What he says is to go down to the church where the Christians are. And the way we do it here, we preach and then we give an invitation. And we say, if you've trusted Christ or you're willing to, would you come? Take an open stand, just like Jesus took an open stand for you at the cross. You come and take an open stand for him. And then let the pastor tell the people. This man is one of us now. This woman is one of us now. This boy or girl is one of us now. Would you do that? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to once again talk about sharing the gospel. We pray that someone who has never been saved will come to Christ and others who are saved will take an open stand for you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> 312 come every soul by sin oppressed there's mercy with the Lord and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word only trust him only trust him now listen to this this is God's invitation God led you here today it's no accident you're here the Lord brought you if you have never been saved you've never given your heart to Christ there's a wonderful joy awaiting you. If you just open your heart and say, come in, Lord Jesus, I need you and I want you. If you'll do that, he'll come in today and save you. He'll be yours forever and forever. <clears throat> if you have already been saved, would you come and confess Christ openly? You say, well, how do you do that? Do I have to get up and make a speech? No. You just come and we'll pray here at the front. And then let me tell the church, this man is one of us. This woman is one of us. This young boy is one of us. Or this girl is one of us. He's been saved. Would you do what God tells you to do? If your membership is somewhere else and God wants you at Glendale, will you come here today and move your letter become part of this fellowship? You do what God tells you to do while we begin to sing. Will you come? <clears throat>